Welcome to the Wolf Connection Podcast. I'm your host, John Kalfa. Let's talk about some wolves. An absolute pleasure to have back with us just on the podcast, but he came to Wolf Connection just a couple of weeks ago for our work with wolves. Pat Jennings, he's a wolf watcher, a wolf tracker. If you see the wolf mobile in Yellowstone, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He is currently in Cadillac, Michigan with his daughter, Kristen Parks, who also joins us here on Zoom. Thank you both for coming on the podcast and sharing your, yeah, your you. journey and your story. How are you guys doing in Michigan? We're doing great. And thanks so much for having us on. We uh, are honored to be on the, uh, on the program. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. No, you're welcome. I, Pat, let me start with you. How did you get involved in this wolf watching journey? Because you started, you, you were saying just before we started that you grew up in LA and now you're more engrossed in nature. So how did that journey begin for you? In uh, 2007, I took a trip, uh, a solo road trip after some uh, major health issues. And um, I entered the park real early in the morning in April of uh, 2007. And this wolf walked or, or kind of jogged alongside of me on by my car and I was there was no other cars around I was the only one there and he jogged alongside of my car passed it went right in front of me on the road and then stepped up on a little berm or hill and I leaned over in my car and snapped off these are the days of the old school uh, cameras you know not the phone cameras or anything and I got a picture and I keep that picture with me all the time. And it was just, it was, it was a, an amazing moment. I don't even know how to describe what it meant to me because at the moment it was just like, wow, I saw, I saw this wolf and he, and he was within 50 yards of me. So, you know, when you think about why you, why you love the wolves, I think your first day doesn't answer that question yet because it just, it just pulled you in. Mm -hmm. It was possibly some people would say, oh, that was cool as a wolf. But for me, it was just like uh, an aha moment that just kind of went, this is, this is incredible. This is so cool to see this. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. And now when you, when you carry it around, what is, what is, what's the reminder now? Why, why do you keep it with you all the time? Well, now that I've learned and spent more time with them, what they represent. The I've gone through a lot of uh, physical issues, uh, illnesses and whatnot, and the wolves are so resilient. They're like the warriors of of uh, species, mm -hmm. and they they inspire me to carry on, like to um, to just keep on with it because of well, you know, things that I've had going on in my life. And they are just, um, you just learn that they are that special for some reason to you. And then slowly, when you start learning more about them, you realize mm -hmm. why. Kristen, mm -hmm. what did that story mean to you when your dad told you the first time? So what was the impact that it had on you when you first heard that? So everything since that moment has changed my dad in all the best of ways. Um, it's really brought out the best in him and probably in a way that we could have 
well, he didn't expect it either, but there was such um, a passion so early on that came through once he had that experience that was very uh, captivating to hear his <laughs> excitement. He was like a little kid um, calling me, telling me about his experiences in Yellowstone, sending me pictures, um, videos that now my um, my three and 11 year old look forward to like, did you, is G-Paw in Yellowstone? Like what kind of new videos do we have? You know, and so we, <laughs> he's, we still um, interact that way, but it really, and my dad is a big kid at heart anyways, he's always been goofy and fun, but this is something with the childlike excitement, kind of like that morning, Christmas morning as a kid. I feel like that's how he is every single time he goes to the park and he goes, what, every six to eight weeks? Then? Yeah. Um, so, but from that very beginning, you know, it's really just, you know, kind of lit um, a fire in him that's not only been passionate, you know, but he's connected and he's advocating and he's, you know, networking and, and making big changes, you know, across the board, whether it's, you know, just small town, you know, in the local sense of the park or, you know, in the political forum too, for a lot of things that are, <laughs> we're trying to get to change. So um, it, it's, it's been in record time. Cause what did you say that was 20, that was 2007. Yeah, and then 2017 is when I really got going and spending more time when I fully retired. And uh, well, up to last last year was my big year. I spent about 75 to 80 days there. And I'd gone like seven, I think seven or eight different trips. And that was including that the park was closed for two months. So okay. I, I really spent a lot of my time there last year because it just went, I just dove all in. It was like... Uh, well, what do you want to do today? Uh, I'm going to go to Yellowstone. Let's just go. You know, <laughs> like what could be better? Right. I for mean, sure. where in the United States do you get to see wolves and you get to go and, and follow them and right. monitor their behavior and learn some of the uh, caller numbers. And, you know, there's the best of people there too. Absolutely. So it, it's a place where, I mean, like you said, the, the childlike energy comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, I've spent longer stretches, like 20 days there. The 20th day, I feel the same way I did the first day. So it's a, it, it's a special place wow. for sure. I mean, because I read you, thank you, by the way, for typing out your bio for me, because it was really good. It was, I, I felt your anticipation towards your retirement in 2017 as you wrote that down on the page, because you could see, you know, I, you had your first sighting, you actually had an encounter or a sighting of, of 06 when she was still alive. And then right when you got to 2017, I, you, I think it was in bold letters, fully retired. And so then you, you really got immersed in it. And what was it like, what was it like to get the present from your wife for the Wolfmobile? How did that come about? What was the, the, how did, first of all, how did they keep that from you? And then what was the surprise and how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, that was another game changer because uh, um, we, my wife and I would go there for a week. And, you know, we were there um, in 2012 in April when we saw 06. And um, we had an incident where 06 howled about 100 yards from us. And it just made the hair on your arm go up. It was just so cool because she had been collared. She's collared as Wolf 832. But um we got to see her howl. And then of course, unfortunately the next December was when she was shot. But uh, that experience uh, after that, my wife and I had talked about putting something on the car 
because I, I have a forerunner and I, we were just talking about let's put 06 on there or let's put a picture that we have on there because she's an artist so it's, it was a slam dunk for her to do something like that for me so um, we talked about it and talked about it and finally up to about 2017 she says I need your car for a few days it's my birthday or our anniversary or something I don't remember exactly which but uh, so she took the car and I'm thinking, hey, she knows she's got something going on here. But when she comes into it, uh, the driveway with the car, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a crazy. It is so beautiful. Yeah. And um, and the reason why I said game changers, I, I, I have people stop me oh, yeah. probably three or four times a week to take a picture of it. And I probably get stopped or get at least a thumbs up 15 times a week. Mm-hmm. And that also led to my advocacy because when people would stop me, I would start to do my, and you have to do a quick spiel because it's not like somebody you're going to sit down with for a while. So I would just start to tell them about, hey, you know, make sure that you're writing to your, you know, your senators or your governor about wolves. We don't want them. We don't want to, what I started using was, I don't, I don't think you want your tax dollars going to eliminate these animals. So the, the Wolf Mobile became an advocacy mobile mm-hmm. right from the beginning. And I didn't even think it would be that way, but people are enamored with this car. It's just, <laughs> it just yeah, they, they, they notice it all the time. When I'm in Yellowstone, I go through the gate, they go up, Wolf Mobile, go on. It's very fun to ride in it with him. Um, the couple of trips that I've been um, able to do that because he does get stopped. It's definitely celebrity status in the park. Um, and it's kind of fun. I think, you know, I try, we try to kind of go back and for my dad, it's probably harder to, to think about when we weren't going very often and we didn't know a lot about the park or the animals or, or much about it. And so when you see somebody that clearly has a passion and that will probably be able to answer some of your questions, not everybody's going on a guided tour when they go through the park and so um, my dad's a you know very personable guy too and obviously loves you know sharing that story so it's been kind of fun just to to see that and I think that you know it's kind of like the big caravan of all of these wolf watchers you know you get a call on the CB radio and it's like oh wait we've got a we've got a spotting over here we've got one bedded down over here and so it's like come on like everyone's throwing their scopes in and like let's go and it's like I'm thinking that some people driving by is like let's I'm gonna follow that wolf guy like he probably knows where it's at. So it's probably a pretty entertaining Caribbean look. Um, that does happen too. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, so Kristen, w- just explain how that's like for you, the, those first couple trips, because Pat, you know, your dad's fully in it. So for you, what what are those first couple of trips like for yourself and your family when you finally get to go in there? And how does that change your life and how you perceive wolves and, and and the parks in general? Well, I feel like we started, I don't know what year was it, the first trip when I was younger that we ever went. Um, I'm not sure how old, I feel like I was maybe about 14. Does that sound about right? 12 or 14. And I had never done, I mean, I grew up in, you know, Long Beach area, just all parts of Southern California. So again, not really in the middle of nature by any means, you know, more like a concrete jungle, as they say, but when I first went is kind of when I fell in love with now my dad will understand this. And I know this is a show about wolves, but like my heart belongs to bison. Like I am a Buffalo lover. Like it's my, 
most favorite animal. And it's so funny because nobody, I don't know if I've ever met anybody like that. I don't, there's just something. And I think they're cute. And that probably is just kind of odd to everybody else, but I enjoy them so, so much. And and that kind of started my love for the park in Yellowstone from the get go. So it was always a special place for my dad and I. Um, And so that I think was like a bond. I mean, it was always a bonding trip. A lot of time spent in the car, a lot of time narrating, right? Like that's what everybody does. That was before YouTube and all that cool stuff where you'd have like videos of like animals and people are like dubbing over, you know, kind of making funny um, comments, which we're definitely known for, um, for sure. But it definitely was a game changer the last time I went um, before this past trip. So that was 2014. I had kind of a break in employment for teaching and, and dad just, you know, he really wanted me to go where it wasn't too busy. He didn't want me to go in the summertime, you know, things like that. And it just never worked out with my um, teaching schedule. And so I had the opportunity to go in November. I'm actually looking at the picture right here. Um, and, you know, we had rented scopes and this was very early on in the, in the whole deal, but it, I I do remember having that feeling, um, that I could see how it would be something that could easily take over, um, once you got hooked. So not just, I mean, it's kind of cool with all the big bulky professional looking, like I'm a big deal, like people driving by, like, yeah, this is a rented scope. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm enjoying it. I really am. Um, but just like dad said, like all the people, it's really interesting, everybody that you meet. Um, and then just, you know, there's a camaraderie there that's really, um, that made me feel really good just being there myself. And then also my dad spending a lot of time there. It's like, okay, I don't really want him, you know, out alone by himself. I mean, that would be cool if that was his thing, but I mean, not only, you know, is the park there and, and the wolves, but this is a great group of people that's really um, done some amazing things. And so my, my little family knows all about it. Uh, we definitely have, Oh, souvenirs and artifacts and shirts. And I'm looking at a mouse pad and a coast. I mean, it's like all over our house, right? Yeah, like um, that's our jam. And so I think that it's a very bonding experience. And I think for my my kids and my husband to hear about how that made my dad and I closer, I think that the only thing they could do would be to kind of, you know, open arms, you know, very open. Um, he's yet to take, um, my husband or daughter, so they have not yet been. So we're trying to figure that out because they know it's, it's more than just a bucket list thing. It's definitely something to do with, um, Wolfman Pat over here. Um, so yeah, it's been all all positive, all good stuff ever since the start. Tell, tell us a little bit about like the logistics of your trips there. Do you you camp in the park? Do you um, stay in hotels nearby? Like, what does your day look like while you're there? I uh, I stay in Gardner all the time because that's the only way to get in uh, during the winter time. Uh, no other entrances are open, so you have to go in the, from Gardner, and it's very convenient to stay right in Gardner because you're right there at the entrance of the park. Um, I have a couple of different places I stay at and have uh, made some connections there with some people. So I have some pretty nice places to stay. And um, that's just a great place to start from is to go right in from Gardner. So uh, mm-hmm. it's um, convenient and it's close. So that's pretty much the only other place to really stay, especially in the wintertime is Cook City mm-hmm. or Silvergate over there in the Northeast entrance. Mm-hmm. But um those are the only two you could stay at in the winter time. So I like to stay in Gardner and um, there's a couple more nicer places to eat and things to do. And go, well, not really things to do, but uh, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. You're just there. You're just there. So it's uh, and it's, it's an early day. Be. If you go with dad, I mean, you are oh, yeah. getting up. It is definitely still dark outside. It's like pack your food. We're on our way. We're not going to miss anything. Well, you can hard. You see like silhouettes of everybody setting up on the hill with their scopes, and it's like you're in it for the long haul. You know, like just. I always ready. I always warn people before we go. I go, okay, listen, we're getting up at oh dark thirty. We're going to be one of the first out there. Yep. If you can't do that, just stay in bed and I'm going. Okay. So here's the, here's the, here's the story here. I mean, I, I love it. Cause when we went and next time we go, we definitely have to, we definitely have to hook up with you, with you. Cause I know you were there cause we saw the Wolfmobile and I know you were hanging out with uh, mm-hmm. John Wood, who we can't seem to get rid of, by the way, he's back again for another week of volunteering here at Wolf Connection. So <laughs> John, John is big. He's back again. So John, and he also says hello, by the way. Hi to, bo- hi to both of you. He said, told me to say hi. But He's what, you guys said something perfect is that it's such a great community up there because when Steve and myself, Elena and Renee went, it's as if we were there, we've been going for years. And it was, I know it wasn't Steve and Renee's first trip. It was Elena and mine for our first trip. But the camaraderie around everyone that is, in the park that early in the morning to help each other out is such an amazing thing to witness. And you, it, it's something I think that's needed more in the, in the world, especially now, but it's just such a great community to be there. Like you say, you have places to stay, Pat. There's people that are going to help you out with your scopes and things like that. What was that initial reaction like when you brought in the Wolfmobile, the, when the Wolfmobile was done were, what did some of the, the individuals say there that that have been wolf watching for a while? Well, I, I think they really liked it. They, um, you know, it said it's for, it said a lot for someone that would want to have that on their vehicle all the time. So uh, I think they kind of knew that I was serious about uh, my wolf watching and being there. And um, it, it's, um, it's just a, a factor that um, it, it, I don't even know how to say it. They just know that you're really involved when you have something like that on your car. Cause it takes up the whole side of the car on both sides. So it's not like, it's like this little sticker or something. It's, um, it's all there. And then, um, my wife also put keep on howling on the front and, and it says canis lupus on the back because I have had people stop me and say, Hey, are those your dogs? And I'm like, no, let me tell you something. There. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's um, it's been great because the, the Wolf Mobile is um, pretty much uh, known all over there now. So. so, do you consider yourself a wildlife watcher, or are you a wolf watcher? Meaning, like, if there were not wolves in Yellowstone, would you still be out there? You think? I think I would, but not as much. Um, when I take uh, send videos to them and other people, um, like uh, the foxes, um, bears, bison. Mm-hmm. I love all the wildlife, but obviously focus on the wolf. And then, you know, the wolf kind of drew me in also because how persecuted they are and how many myths there are about wolves that people just don't understand. And I'm sure you guys kind of realize that too. It's like, like little red riding hoods around the corner or something. And it's like, right. people just want to go wait. No, or people are fascinated when I tell them there's never been a documented wolf attack in the lower 48 or, um, like they said, well, well, have you ever walked up on a wolf? And I said, well, let's say hundred yards. And when they look at you, they go the other way. They don't go towards you. And they, they, they almost don't believe you. Right. 
And, and I think our, our goal in advocacy is to educate people that this is a, a, a necessary apex predator in the, in the ecosystem. And it just, it's, it's an animal that needs to be there. I don't know. Some of the Western culture is, is very anti-wolf and it's, um, it, it frustrates us to see that because, you know, we don't understand it because we see these animals and we're just in awe of them. And, and I mean, it's hard to understand why they want to shoot them. So it's just like, it's frustrating sometimes. Now I can't tell, are there, I mean, because we're, we, we're looking for wolves too. So when, when we went there, it seemed that everyone was looking for wolves. Is that, is that an accurate depiction or are we just, we're just following wolf, wolf folks, but are there people, are there groups of people out there looking for grizzlies exclusively in the same way that there are these groups that are following wolves around grizzlies, fox, uh, you know, elk, uh, bison, et cetera? Not so much. I know there's a gentleman, Bill Hamlin, who is uh, exclusively grizzlies, mm -hmm. but as far as groups of people, I don't know of a lot of groups that are into the other animals, but I think most of us, just love all the animals, right. even though if we're together, we'd rather see a wolf. But if a, if a fox came by with a, or a badger, fluffy tail, or a badger, oh yeah, <laughs> um, excuse me, or a, a bison rolling around, or like this, they're on, they're in the rut right now, coming oh, yeah. up. So they they do some real interesting things when they're doing sure. that. So and then uh, grizz, the grizzly wolf interaction yeah, too cool. is yeah. awesome to see. Yeah. yeah, we saw some awesome pictures of that. And that's kind of neat too. And I think sometimes you run into and dad will be able to speak to this more so, but I always think of, you know, uh, growing up watching Yogi Bear, right. And he's going into Jellystone and it's very like bear, like bears, right. I mean, there's not a whole lot, there's not, I don't know if there's wolves in, the, in those cartoons or not, but you know, some people it's been, Yellowstone's been on their bucket list. And so they, they want to see a bear, right. Like that's their thing. That's kind of, um, a little bit different though. It's not really the way it's portrayed in, um, in Jellystone in, in the cartoons there. It's definitely a different experience. And, and I would, I would definitely say better, but, um, I do feel like when you're mentioning other animals, it's kind of fun to, to pick up on some of the jargon, some of the different, um, insider terms that I had to learn a different language when I was there around everybody. And I kept hearing somebody say like, Oh man, I logged a three dog day. I'm like, yeah, is this something I'm supposed know like what does that mean I know the whole you know dog and wolf connection and it's like okay so if you can see you know if you if you end up seeing in one day a coyote and a wolf and a fox you get to say you put in a three dog day and man those are bragging rights that is a big old deal we're still not sure and especially for some some that are going to listen to this there is a habituated fox over uh, Coke City, right? By uh, Round Prairie. Yeah, we all haven't decided if that counts as part of the whole three dog day. I mean, that fox is not scared of anyone. Oh. But anyway, so there are definitely interests, I think, even from the wolf watchers to see other um, animals. Definitely the moose is kind of fun to be able yeah, to see absolutely. the elk, to hear the elk like bugle. Like I think yeah. it all is just kind of brings it all for full circle, you know, just this very harmonious environment with all the wildlife um, is, is a pretty amazing experience when you put it all together. And I guess because wolves are so... They, they range so widely that I guess if you're following wolves, you're really seeing the whole park. You're seeing all the species in the park as they interact and they're, they're hunting and they have grizzly interactions, et cetera. But I have kind of a strange question, Pat. 
other than your love for wolves, what do you think that all of the serious wolf watchers have in common other than their interest in wolves? Boy, that's a good question because first of all, that connects us obviously with the, with the wolves, but they're just some really good people that enjoy um, being out in nature and also enjoy helping people as uh, for instance, when you guys were there, Hey, you want to see the wolves? You want to look in our scopes? You want to see where they are? And one of the coolest things out there is when somebody that's never seen a wolf before has seen a wolf and see their reaction. It's, it's, it's heartwarming. It's like so cool because I've had a lady literally jump in my arms before and Mm -hmm. said, Oh, you made my trip. That's the first wolf I've ever seen. Oh, I I love you. And then she literally jumped (laughs) me. I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. But whenever somebody gets to see a wolf for the first time, it is, it's really makes you feel good that you were able to uh, show them what the wolves, what the wolves are. And then that also helps our advocacy that more people know about this, about them and what a, what a great species and important species they are to the ecosystem. It's not just, mm-hmm. it's not just watching them. We have a higher purpose to uh, make sure we educate people about them. And I think that's what we all have in common out there is we all want to do that. Like if you, you know, you just talk to John Wood and we're good buddies. And uh, I mean, he talked about that too, or just like, Hey, do, do you know where they are or we'll be in a row. And sometimes if you're watching, if you're looking for them, you just can't spot them. You know, you're looking in your scope. Hey, Taylor, you got them, mm-hmm. you know, and she goes, Hey Pat, you got them. And, uh, and I tell you one thing that, that, um, it's really cool too. If you're ever out there scoping for wolves and you're next to Rick McIntyre, this guy can tell stories like, you know, you think you would get tired of them, but you don't, you just like position yourself close to him. And when he starts talking about a story, you're just like, you're in your scope, but you're listening, you know, and it's people like him and Lori, Taylor, Jeremy, unbelievable wolf people. And, uh, they're a pleasure to be around. I think they all have the same thing. They all love to uh, help other people see the wolves and enjoy them. And I think all everybody really has a different personality. I feel like there's some people that are, you know, very uh, scientific in nature and, and maybe have field notes almost where it's like, oh, it's a little intimidating. I thought, I don't know if I could even really add to this conversation, but there's no judgment. It's all very open. They just want the more people to appreciate and, you know, gain awareness. And then there's some, you know, we've got a lot of... Um, dads and grandpas so there's some some cor- some corny dad jokes happening for sure when we're those are really good yeah like don't badger somebody who hasn't seen a badger yet and we've got you know dog piles and wolf clumps and um like dad said you know I just uh I did feel very um welcome when I showed up with him you know like Obviously, people had heard about me, but I knew that, you know, he was very well respected, too. And so um, I wasn't uh, intimidated by being around these veteran wolf watchers. You know, I just kind of became one of them and was cracking my own mom jokes, teacher jokes, all that stuff. That was October of 2019. October, yes. Yeah, she was there last time for a week. It was October of 2019. Yep. 20? No, that that would have been last yeah. No, was it? It was. Oh, I'm sorry. It was October of 2020. Yep. Uh, she was there with me. Oh, October 2020. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kristen, what's it like for you as a teacher to be in that setting to see, just like you said, the teaching aspect of it, the camaraderie end of it, and then get into, if you guys can, get into the advocacy a little bit too about what you what you both are really doing because it seems as though it's a lot of word of mouth, which from some of the individuals we've had recently, that seems to be almost the best way is to really speak about this in layman terms and not really trying to get too wordy or educational about it. And it's more of just word of mouth. We've had a, a couple of hunters on here that say, I just tell them how I feel with my hunting buddies. Is that typical of what you guys try to do? Or how do you, how do you guys balance that advocacy part of it when you're out there wolf watching as well? Um, do you want me to talk about the teaching part? So that has been um, a game changer. So I've always taught elementary school. Um, and for the past well, six years, I was at the college level teaching teachers. And so um, I didn't have as much of an opportunity as I did this past year. I was teaching virtual fifth grade. Um, and I had started actually after my trip with my dad and I was looking over the science standards for teaching fifth grade. And I noticed it was like, wait just a minute. I think I can talk about wolves in Yellowstone and I can hook these kids, right? I can engage them. They've all had a really tough time being virtual with, you know, the pandemic and things like that. I wrote a couple of them down. So a couple of the standards are like describing kind of like the food chain, the food web, right? Um, so plants, animals, decomposers in the environment. So I thought, okay, Yellowstone, all day long. I can definitely work that in. Um, and then also another one that I actually went a little bit um, further with was kind of what you're saying with advocacy. So one of the standards, and these are required standards, right, um, is how you can uh, gain information about individual communities using science ideas to protect the earth's environment. And like, what? Like, I have a great resource. His name's dad. Um, so I had just, you know, had this great experience and I was fortunate enough to um, connect with um, the 06 legacy. So Carol Miller, she was a great resource for me getting educational um, information, got some books into my hands. Um, definitely was showing my students a lot of um, like virtual tours and we were reading a lot of articles in that way. And it was so interesting because their interest about wolves made them less intimidated to read material that I didn't think that they would read before. So I kind of was trying to just see, you know, I'm like, I don't want to project too much. This is, I know this is my jam, but if I'm passionate, they can be, you know, it's kind of a win-win. And so um, they did quite a few different projects, um, you know, art projects, science, writing, things like that. And so some of them got really, really interested. Um, and so they kind of took it a little bit further and, you know, definitely set them up to be um, following some some research and some advocacy groups um, as well. And so I think that the connection, like dad said, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's myths out there and persecution um, happening. And I think my students would relate to wolves in that way that they, you know, some of my students have, you know, come from, you know, a hard background, maybe some trauma, some things like that, and need that like tough exterior, kind of like a wolf, um, but also are just, such good people, you know, so like just like the the resiliency and the warrior kind of part of a wolf. I feel like some of those kiddos could relate to that a lot and kind of want a second chance and kind of have had that um, experience of being misjudged or maybe misunderstood. And so I think for them, I, 
I didn't, it wasn't forceful. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have to, to convince them. It was like, wow, like I never really thought about it like that. Um, so those kind of connections, I think were real easily made. And so to me, um, I think that, you know, them sharing their information, you know, that they learned or maybe some passion, um, that they gained from kind of my contagious <laughs> that kind of goes back to dad, um, is probably going to go pretty far that way. Um, so like you said, word of mouth, I think, you know, without getting too technical, like you said, too educational, too much, you know, I don't know. I did some research kind of further on because I got real interested about some of the things that I didn't understand when I was kind of up on the hill with, with the veteran um, watchers. I think that was also a kind of a neat learning experience where, you know, it probably sounds like I've been doing this my whole life or my dad has, and it really hasn't been for very long. And so I think that is very um, like motivating for, for kids and, and adults to really think like, wow, you can just get that excited. Even when you're a real live grown up, you still have things to learn and be excited oh, yeah. about oh, yeah. and talk about and share. And Definitely. so that's, you know, my teacher heart um, speaking, speaking volumes there, but I think that, um, it's such a wholesome connection too. And I think like one of you said earlier, that that's just what we need, the world needs. And so I think my students were just so thirsty, so hungry for that. Um, and something they could all relate to. So I feel like the story, the personal stories is what really helps with the advocacy myself. I agree. I think uh, for me, it was, um, in 2017 when I would, you know, became fully retired. Uh, it was fun to go out there so much. And I, I started to think that there was a higher purpose to just in watching wolves and observing them and, and getting all into them. And I said, you know, I want to start with my own state of Washington. And uh, I started attending the uh, WAG meeting, WAG, it's the Wolf Advisory Group. And I would go to those meetings and we had a problem there with some ranchers that were, um, advocating to have the wolves taken out by the fish and wildlife. And uh, we all got together and we chipped in for a billboard and the billboard was uh, shaming the governor of Washington saying that uh, he, uh, he think he says he's a conservative conservationist, but he is allowing wolves to be killed. And, you know, it was a risk that we took that he would be offended by that or react to it. And he actually ended up sending a letter to the fish and wildlife saying he wanted, he didn't want wolves being killed. So we really made an impact and it felt good to do that because we had been at, um, my wife was actually on the six o'clock news one night there in Seattle that we had had this, um, I don't know if you call it a protest, but there was a, a court case going on where we wanted an injunction against, uh, killing some of the wolves from, from one of the packs. And, uh, uh, she made of some, I got to show you these someday. She made some banners and some signs. We were out in front of the court building and the local news came by and interviewed us and everything. So, <clears throat> sorry. It really felt good to make an impact. And after that, uh, we've had uh, Washington State is actually probably in a better spot than some of the other states are right now as far as um, their wolf management. So, we felt we, we really accomplished something there in Washington. So now I'm actually working with uh, Wolves of the Rockies and we have some projects. We're trying to get the wolves relisted on the endangered species list. So I'm working on some projects with them to, uh, to get to that end right now. And it's, um, as you know, some of the couple of the states, Idaho, Montana, especially are, uh, have especially anti-wolf policies going into effect. So 
we really need to work on the federal level to have them relisted. I think that would really make a difference, but it's going to take a lot of work. And I'm willing to get in there and, and be one of these people that helps that make that happen. Uh, Pat, can you describe for folks what relisting means, like why it's meaningful for the species and what will, what will change if wolves are, are relisted and sort of if, if you, if you can, how, how does, how's the science going to work? Are they going to, they're going to raise the number of what it means for, for a successful reintroduction. There's going to be new, new studies to show that the wolf population is not sustainable or, or what's, what's it going to look like? Why is that meaningful? I think you really hit on exactly the right thing there because re putting an animal on the endangered species list means that you can't just go out and kill that animal, but the states are in charge of wolf management. So therefore, if they're on the federal endangered species list, it would have to be, the science would have to be looked at on what the what the management of wolves would be in that particular state. So that's why we want to do it because it would make them uh, re-examine the science. I mean, you hit it perfectly. The science would have to be re-examined as to what the state, what that particular state can uh, uh how many wolves that state can uh, have in there? Well, you know, based on their size and yeah. and what, what they're what um, the carrying capacity, that, yeah, that they have now. And as you know, wolves wolves kind of uh, regulate their own population. If they get too many, they they get too close to each other. The packs, you know, right. you know that's just how it works with the wolves. So, but yeah, um, the. Um, the states would have to relook at their science and then not be allowed probably to kill wolves until they had a science that showed that there is way too many or um, for some reason they need they killing all their elk or something, which has always been an excuse, of course. But yeah, they, it, that's why that would be really important to do is to, is to have them back on the endangered species list. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot of what we've been hearing from some of the individuals in Idaho and some of the people even in Wisconsin where they had the wolf hunt earlier this fall, early, earlier in the winter. I mean, what's the, what's the overriding feeling? Because you said you, you seem to believe that Washington State has sort of turned a, a corner, at least from your perspective, about the wolf population and the wolf myth legend and how they can somewhat coexist. When you're working with the wolves of the Rockies, are you fairly involved in some of the reintroduction or are you sort of on the periphery of what's going on for the wolves that are being reintroduced or going to be reintroduced on the Western Slope in Colorado? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the periphery on that part of it. What I've been working with them more on is, like I said, our project of uh, social media and getting to this uh, relisting of them. So what we've kind of done is kind of laid out a um, big plan and now we're just starting to initiate it. And uh, for instance, I've given them uh, some uh, videos and pictures to use in the campaign. So there, and then we're going to also talk about, uh, we talk once a week about how we're going to uh, make this work and have the most impact on the most people. And you know, with, when getting a big project done and you say, okay, we want to relist wolves, that's a huge, a huge deal. I mean, it doesn't just happen overnight. Mm -hmm. You have to work on politicians and you have to work on uh, people getting involved in that. 
sometimes it's hard to get the ear of these people. So basically our strategy is to blitz social media and to get around to showing how um, the policies that are in, especially Idaho and Montana are, are wildly crazy. I mean, this to kill 90% of your wolves is like, what, what, what are you talking about? What, what, that's crazy. I mean, I, I just don't get it, but unfortunately now we got to work hard to reverse that. Mm. Who, who makes the final decision on reenlistment? Like who's the last person that needs to be convinced? I believe it, it would be a U.S. Fish and Wildlife, but I believe that there is um, some input that could be had from, for instance, Department of the Interior. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've been actually sending letters to Deb Holland, which is the Department of the Interior. Um, even the president, I think, and or Congress uh, can, you know, force an executive order of some kind. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I have read just recently that 85 congressmen sent a letter to the president saying they want they wanted something done about those wolf hunts. So we're starting to see uh, a toe in the door to just start all this off. And that's kind of how it has to start because it's not going to be an overwhelming uh, push and it's going to they're going to go, OK, OK, you know, we're going to do it. So it's, it's just got to be this constant push and constant awareness of this of this situation. And that's how we were eventually get it done. I think, I hope. Is the ultimate goal of wolf advocacy, special protections. Uh, I think the fear for some people is that the, the goalposts will just keep being moved. That, you know, as wolves on the ESA are turned back over to state management, that there will sort of always be a move for new science that will end up multiplying those numbers that were set to mean successful reintroduction. <laughs> Does it feel like that is what's happening and, and the ultimate goal is special protections? Um, no, I would say not. That's something that helps. But the end, end, end all is to say states need to have sensible wolf management. Got it. And to, to do that, we need, we need new science. Some of the numbers they're using are from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. So basically, I think this strategy says, stop, wait, let's slow down. Let's 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 not kill 90% of your wolves first. Let's find out what your sensible wolf management is for your state. That's kind of what the end would be. And I think what dad's saying too, is just, it's so different. The environments where wolves are, you know, across our nation are, it's completely different. So when I was teaching my students, some of my students got really interested and said, wait, Hey, you know, like this is perks I found about out about like the Mexican wolf and this kind of wolf. And it's like, yeah, Yellowstone's not the only place, you know, they're like, wait, they look different. Wait, what we read here looks different. And, you know, they're reading articles and, you know, the, the coloring process and, and wolf tracking and, and that kind of advocacy is really neat too. And that's why I really appreciate what Wolf Connection does because I feel like I was able to to introduce students to possible life um, lifestyle changes or career goals in using science in a way they would have never thought that they could incorporate, you know, like a scientific mentality, advocacy, interpersonal um, nature um, in those kind of ways. And so it really kind of got them looking at, you know, yes, we know Mrs. Barks is crazy about Yellowstone. Yeah, she goes over <laughs> with her dad, blah, blah, blah. But this is like all over, right? But the needs 
and the and the um the issues are different so to slap on like one solid number like here's our number this is what we're working towards not entirely true um to the layman's perspective i mean if i if you ask people on the street you know like who's a you know what animals are on the endangered species list right now that's not really like everyday knowledge if that's not your jam right like if you're like um i'm into this i'm into that that's not really something that's kind of like are you smarter than a fifth grader kind of thing? You know, like some kids, if they learn it in school, might know that. But um, I, I think the awareness part, and like dad said, with social media, I mean, that's how people gather a lot of their information, especially if they're looking for alternative media, right? They're looking for different sources of information. Um, pictures and videos, those are huge. When I started posting things, you know, just on my own personal face, I had people coming out that like, I had no idea had kind of a special soft spot for wolves. And it's like, what can I do? How can I do this? How can I listen to this podcast? Send me the link. It's like, you know, those small little steps. I mean, there's big goals and there's, you know, the the big head honchos like Wolfman Pat here. Um, I'm, you know, not at that level, but I feel like um, they're definitely using all of those resources available to them um, just to get the word out, um, which I think is, it's working. Yeah, it's pretty exciting that you are, teaching your kids these practical applications tangible things they can do with their love for wildlife uh i wish i had known there were career paths to that at a young age you know because it it would it would have been such an exciting avenue to go down so it's pretty awesome and then i also think it's worth mentioning again how adults being excited and passionate, how important that is to kids for kids to see, because it's sadly true that you just don't, you just really don't see it that often. And I won't speak for John, but I assume he, he agrees. You know, we, we were lucky enough to work with a lot of passionate adults. And I think it really was beneficial for kids to see that you can be, you can be an adult in a workspace and still be excited and passionate and have that childlike energy come out. Um, you were saying when you were watching Wolves in Yellowstone that there were some topics that you didn't quite grasp right out of the gate. And I'm, uh, I'm curious what those were. I have my homework in front of me, so I'm happy to tell you that. So when I, yeah, so on my trip, cause I'm, you know, um, I'm just a, a teacher no matter where I am or, or what I'm doing. So when I left my Yellowstone trip, you know, and I have two kids and I was traveling by myself, which <laughs> always feels odd that I don't have a diaper bag or snacks or something to carry with me. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write about my experience. I don't want to forget it. So I wrote this little article. Um, it's like seven or eight pages with pictures and links and things like that. And it was kind of just more of a ode to my dad and, and a thank you to the, you know, wolf watchers. But it was something somebody brought up yeah, I have like canine phylogenetic trees and I was getting crazy with it. I mean, you guys, I don't even know. It's like cue the biology classification lesson. It was, it was definitely my jam. But what I did end up looking up because somebody was talking about um, certain diseases that certain wolves are more, um, more resistant to like canine diseases, like distemper, right? So I'm hearing them talk about, well, the black wolves are more resistant than the gray wolves. It's like, what in the world is going on? Like, what does that mean? Uh, and I have a link to the scholarly article in my silly little journal that I just did on that little, you know, puddle jumper plane on the way home. Um, but that's kind of something that got me interested and got me going. And you better believe that I came back to my students and I was like, you guys, this is so cool. Let me tell you all about this. Um, and that was a little bit too far, but like you said, just to, to share that excitement was, um, was pretty cool. And 
like I said, there's, you know, some people that were, you know, very technical and very, um, you know, with, with field notes and in, in that way, but I don't think that it was too, too far fetched because everybody would entertain the idea. Like people would ask questions. It wasn't like, Oh, I know everything there is to know. It's like, yeah, but what about this? Like, what do you think about that? Like last time we noticed, you know, so it was a lot about like patterns of behaviors, kind of being able to anticipate things, people excited, right? Like I'm leaving in three days. Do you guys think that the pups are going to come out? Cause I got to see them before I leave the park, you know, stuff like that. But those were like regular conversations that had a lot of science you know um really a lot of information built in there in terms like uh alpha alpha male alpha male beta male you know uh yearlings uh two-year-olds um uh, some of the ones that are more um uh subservient to the other ones you know they're they're um the submissive ones and what that means and everything so yeah there's once you're there, though, and you start digesting it, it's 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 super cool to see the relationships within, within the pack. Yep. And this, all of this, and Stephen, I, I I agree with you, and I echo what you said before. I think when there's when there's an excitement with older individuals, if you're if you're a child and you see adults and you see we see it here at Wolf Connection a lot, where the kids will come here and say, "Boy, you guys enjoy scooping poop," and we go, "You have no idea the amount of." <laughs> bonding that has to go on you know to be able we we tell them it's an honor yeah it's an honor to go in and scoop that and there's there's a specific a specific relationship that has to occur in order for you to really to be go in with just a scooper to to change water to hike these wolves to do all these things so to steven to your point to everybody's point here is that, yeah, the excitement when it's in older individuals and they see that, I think it really percolates and it really transfers to the younger generation that there is, and Stephen, I agree with you too, I w- because when you're a kid, all you think of is, I can be a vet. And the vet is the, is the, one, the veterinarian, in other words. That's the place where I can go. I can help animals and I love animals. So that's where I go. And if you really, really want to go far off, you think zoologist. And that was like the, really the two yeah, paths yeah, yeah, that I yeah. remember when I was a kid. It was like, you're going to be at a zoo or you're going to be a vet. I've got a funny story about that too, is that um, there's one white wolf in the park and she's the alpha female of the Wapiti pack. And she's also the oldest wolf in the, in the park. And it's always a treat for us wolf watches to see her. And I hadn't seen her in maybe four or five years. Oh, wow. Last November, last November, I had a, a close-in encounter where right at the um, Tower Junction parking lot, she was made 200 yards away sitting there. And I think that's the picture I showed you. And um, I'll eventually send you some videos of the howling. The whole pack was howling. And I got like full face shots of the white alpha female. And I'm literally hyperventilating. And I'm like, oh my God, look what I just saw. And I'm, I'm doing videos and I'm taking pictures and and then they finally took off and went back to their southern um, area where their where their back uh, uh, usually is. And um, I remember driving to a spot where I could make a call, and I called uh, Steve Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling, I'm literally, well, you know what I just saw? He's like, calm down, calm down, breathe, breathe. And I said, oh, I just had the greatest encounter of my life right now. It was it was just like so. 
at my age to have that kind of reaction was like, I don't even know where it came from, but I was just so excited. I couldn't even breathe hardly. It was crazy. So. I mean, that's, that's what you want. That's what exactly you want. What did you feel, Pat, what was the similarities when you came here to Wolf Connection that you could draw on from being, cause you were at the park many, many times and you come down to Wolf Connection. What was the experience like for you? Do you tell everybody what that was like when you, when you're able to be up close and personal with some of the, some of our pack? Well, I told, I've been telling people that, um, not only it's just for us to experience the wolves, it's what you guys are doing for the, um, the youth of LA that needs uh, a little help there. So I said, it's not, it's not just about the wolves. It's about the people. And that's what made it more, more special because we're in Yellowstone. We're freely watching these wolves. Uh, the wolf connection has a purpose that what they're doing and the wolves are part of that. But also to see him so close in was, was great too. And then of course, for me, I connected with Mia because of the vocal cord issue. And I was like, so special for you guys to um, invite me back, back there to see her. And it was, and it was even more touching that. Uh, sorry. Sorry that, uh, that they, um, most of the people, people there said that she doesn't really come to people that easily. And she came over to me and licked my fingers. Mm. So it was just really cool. But I've been telling people about the good things that you do. And it's, and it, the wolves are part of it, but not all of it because it's about people as well. And that's why you guys are special. You think uh, actually having contact with a wolf like Mia changes your perspective of wild wolves in any way? I don't, I don't know if it changes it, but it just reinforces that um, these animals are so, um, they can, they can go through anything. They're warriors. Like if Mia doesn't have a, a vocal cord and I'm not going to have one, so what? I can still survive. I can have a great life. So <clears throat> I'm sorry. She gave me inspiration. And then I noticed that to see these animals so close, it's just so, uh, after being in Yellowstone, it's so inviting to just touch them. Cause, and I, I was also watching the other people that are less, have less experience with wolves than I do. I was watching them and they were just so uh, enamored with the whole thing. <laughs> They were so happy to, to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And and it was just, it was fun to see their reaction and also to just be there and do it. Like, I can't wait to come back. I can't wait for you to come back. Uh, Kristen, obviously you're invited too, if you want to come. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, and hey, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come and scoop poop anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like, like Steven said, it's, it's so, and we had the reverse effect for, at least for, myself, because again, I haven't been to Yellowstone, Stephen was there before, for being so up close two to three days a week all the time here at Wolf Connection. And then to go to Yellowstone where you guys, that's your playground and you really know the ins and outs of it, to mm -hmm. be hundreds of yards away, to be sometimes a mile or so away, you still feel that pull even at that distance. Because a lot of times we try and tell people sometimes the bond doesn't form if you can touch it's there sometimes there are wolves mm -hmm. that i don't touch that often that i have a a huge bond with even just through the fence or even through distance you said it reinforced that for you is it 
what is what was what was something that you took away other than I mean obviously the mission and and you said it so beautifully was there anything else that that stuck with you after you after you left here and you went and you went back back home I think it was just the whole story of what you're trying to do and your dedication to doing it and in the way you're doing it and people like uh, for instance you said you can't get rid of John Wood now because he feels it too and he wants to go there and he wants to participate I do too like possible hopefully after my my uh throat surgery i can go and spend a week there and say hey i just want to be there and i think what i what it takes away is that um we learn that these wolves are also a part of healing somebody else a human being and and that's what's really important too it's a different thing than yellowstone but still in the same realm of the animal that we revere so much and are so into and I think from from what it makes me think of is just as an educator, I've always heard about programs with animals and children and how there's kind of that special connection. And while all of us educators try to reach all students, we can't reach every kid. We can't reach every student as much as we would like to. And so there's always been you've probably heard of programs where there's, you know, very um uh, they bring dogs into the schools. Um, and obviously you've heard about them like in hospitals and things like that, but um, it's pretty amazing to see a connection like with a small child, like who maybe is very nervous about reading or not confident and will read all day long to a dog sitting docile in their lap, you know, while they're petting them. Um, my sister has a lot of experience with some horse therapy. Um, so she's talked to me about the great things that have happened um, between horses um, and teens. And it so much um, makes me think of what you're doing and being able to kind of make that connection between kids, you know, not that they're not connecting with other people, but there's something that animals can do that we cannot. And a lot of times it's those, um, those kids or those people in general that are very empathic, right. That they are like feeling a lot of really, um, special connections that sometimes can't be like pinpointed. You can't put it into words. There's an acceptance. There's kind of something that's, you know, there's no judgment. It's very wholesome, real, natural, could be spiritual, um, a lot of different ways that people could describe it. Um, and so, I mean, to me, it kind of feels like when I was, the last time I was at Yellowstone, it was very much so, like you say, like being a fly on the wall, right? Um, well, I kind of felt like that in Yellowstone where you are just able to observe without, you know, kind of just disturbing like a natural habitat in that way and so I felt that connection without actually you know like being right next to the animals or touching them but sometimes that's actually what somebody else needs so that the whole idea of them being in close proximity that takes a lot of bravery right that takes a lot of trust and sometimes you can't get that between two people so an animal and somebody in need can be very therapeutic for sure no, the, the animal portion of it is, I mean, we always say this around here is that the, the wolves are constantly teaching every day. I mean, they, they teach me something every time I, I walk through and it may seem like status quo and it's, I mean, it changes every day around here and something's, it's always keeping us on our toes, which I think is good also. And I think it's a good teaching tool is that we, as much as you may think some certain things are routine, there's always something that's going to come up that's going to tap into something a little bit deeper that's going to really stretch your comfort zone. And really, we, we talk about break, uh, going past the edges of where you're comfortable and finding out 
what what is stopping me from getting through this barrier or this wall and whatever it may be, whether it's emotional or physical or whatever it may be. And, you know, to Pat's, to your dad's point about Mia and, and Theo's, the other one that doesn't have their their vocal cords anymore. And what we always say is that they they still howl with the pack and they're still, their voice always still needs to be heard. And the the fact that there's, again, these teaching moments just constantly come up. And I think it's something beautiful that the more people I see that understand that and see that is, again, it's just, as you know, as a teacher, Kristen, you're just reaching one person, two people, three people, whatever it is at a time. And I think that always helps with that. Um, I, I'm going to ask my last question, Stephen, if he has something, he's always thinking he's very, <laughs> um, actually, no, I have a question before I ask my last question because, and I, um, were you guys, and I, this is, I know we're going from emotional to whatever. Were you guys, is cause you love bison so much. Were you ever in a bison jam? Anytime you're in Yellowstone, because when we went to Yellowstone, we we got go into bison jam our first. Yeah, time. you can't go to you can't go to Yellowstone without being in bison jam. I mean, we've been in twenty minute bison jams. Oh. And I mean, the only time they're bad is when you're trying to you hear about a wolf sighting somewhere and you can't get there. Right. Otherwise, you now they're fine. I mean, nobody really wants to be in a bison jam, but. Uh, except maybe this girl. I know. I love it. So they're wallowing and there's a lot of playful interaction between the calves and the, the mamas. And it's, um, and it's, you're, they're pretty close, you know, I mean, don't roll down your window. Don't pet the bison. You know, I, um, but that is kind of a cool close encounter because in Yellowstone, you don't always get to be that close to any animal, but there's plenty to go around. Well, I remember one time there was a bison probably three feet from the side of the car. My wife was with me in the car. The first thing she did is went over and locked the door. I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> she reached over and locked the door. I'm like, what do you think is going to come inside? <laughs> well, it's that close. You never know. We got into a pretty bad one on that bridge. Remember that, John? That one was wild. They were just coming off that slope right over the bridge. That one was, that one yeah, took a long time. They're pretty it's agile. Awesome. Yeah. For 2,000 pound animals, they are, boy, they, they, they navigate <laughs> hills right? better than I can. I'm, it's crazy how, how amazing they are. Um, so yeah. with that, so my last question for the two of you is, and Stephen may have something else is when you both hear the word wolf, what is something that comes to your mind? Well, I'll say, I'll say strength, wildness, uh, perseverance and regal beauty where you look at this animal and you just go, wow, what I mean. To look at their face and look at their body and like their when their winter coats are on, they're just so fluffy. And then I don't know, it just it just maybe there's not an answer for every person for this, but some of the you know the wolf watchers and the people that we you have on your program and that we're just so uh, attracted to that. It's like this animal is special, but I think it's all those things I said at the beginning too because. I've heard about necropsies they've done on wolves that have had like broken jaws and broken legs. And they just go out and do what they do. You know, they don't let it bother them. They don't let them get us out, get, uh, get them down. And that's what they're teaching. I think the, uh, the people that you have there, they're teaching them that. And that's how, that's what's important. 
So I did my homework and I knew you were going to ask this question because I watched all the videos and I'm a word kind of person. And I settled on one word because I thought maybe it's not done very much. So, and it might have already been used. That's okay. So my word is majestic. And it is because I was able to, we weren't too far away the last time I got to lock eyes with uh, 1229. Um, it was an amazing experience. I felt like she was like looking through my soul. And I felt like even through that scope, it was a, a, like a moment in time that I just wanted to freeze. And it made me think of the way that, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of fantasy, like video games and movies and things like that. And, and everybody kind of has their their special like mythical creature, right? Like a, a unicorn or a dragon. And I feel like a wolf is like that. But hey, it's real. It actually exists. It seems like it's not real because there is something so majestic about it, something in, in the eyes, something that's familiar because a lot of us, you know, are, are dog people, but so out of touch at the same time. And so for us to be able to do this in Yellowstone is kind of like fantasy and reality together and to experience it, whether it's close up, you know, at Wolf Connection or if it's through the lens or a scope, you know, at a national park or, you know, somewhere else. I think that it's pretty, it's pretty breathtaking. It kind of, it'll make you stop and think. And whether you want to go back for more or not, that might be um, different for everybody. But I think once you're you're hooked, because there's something in you that wants to experience that kind of like magic, something kind of like fantasy. Um, so it's kind of a neat experience to to know that it's, that's a real creature. It actually exists. Um, and there's, and there's more to it than everybody thinks beyond the myth, for sure. My my favorite wolf is 1048, and it's because I have this picture when he was a yearling on my phone. And I see if I can show you through the thing. <laughs> yeah. That was taken when he was a yearling, and that's that's always been my favorite wolf. So it's not my baby picture or a picture of me on his phone. Know, it's, it's, actually, my... well, it's okay. I'm totally fine with it. But <laughs> grand, grand, grandkids aren't on the phone, just a wolf on the phone. We get it. We get it. We're like your pups. It's fine. Let, uh, let me ask one more question, John. Uh, all right. Because I don't know about you, John, but I thought the more that we heard these answers at the end of these podcasts, the clearer the picture would become about why those of us that are in love with wolves are are so attracted to them are so like we just have this thing for them that's sort of unexplainable i'm like i i don't know if i get it any more than i did when we started like why why when certain people look at wolves they're just sucked into the, to the moment they see this like un, this timeless wild beauty and then other folks look at them and and see pests right and it's it's like the, the, there's such hard lines drawn and I still don't know if I get why those of us that see them as this beautiful majestic thing see them that way and and I mean even though I do feel that way I don't understand like what what have I experienced in my life that has prepared me to look at a wolf and see beauty I don't get it but so maybe something that will help clear that up is when you look at bison Kristen what is it that you feel there's, there, yeah, that's a good one. I wasn't prepared for that. I'd rather uh, people not be prepared. You know what, John? That's okay, it, dude. Okay. We're setting the, we're setting a rule from now on, and that's that anyone we're interviewing, they got to stop the podcast before the last question. So they're so, Ooh, okay. <laughs> so they're just All right. So they're just so surprised. Yeah, that's it. We're setting it. Post it up. Um, 
I think that it's pretty incredible to how close you can be to such a large, massive, like how often, and not by choice, I'm not saying we don't go seek them out. Like you said, they're always on the road in Yellowstone. So they're, you know, right outside your car window. So that I think um, is probably... I, I mean, I'm a short per I'm five, two. And so to, I feel, you know, real short and small everywhere I go. And so to be next to this 2000 pound creature, like it's very, um, not humbling, like I, something bad's going to happen to me, but kind of, um, unreal because you don't ever see, I mean, when you think of whatever, like an elephant or a jungle, I mean, I read kids books all the time and like, well, fun facts about animals. You can't imagine, you know, an animal that's, a hundred feet long, like a whale that weighs two tons. Like you just can't even wrap your head around yeah, it, giants. but to be right next to a bison, like, and they're like that hump that's on their back. And then they have all this hair. Yeah. It's so cute. The it's so fantastic, but it, it's like <laughs> the cutest, biggest okay. animal like I've ever been next to. And, and I love it. It makes me feel. And that's so cool. So and that's so cool. But guess, but I understand that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's no, like in that, in your relationship to the, to a bison, I get that. Like every, I can relate to that. Every, it's so, it like, it's like what I, like when you look at a mountain, you're just like, this thing is so giant. I'm, I can't believe I'm saying, you know what I mean? Or you're in a, you're in a lightning storm. You know what I mean? It's just nature being massive and uncontrollable and it's so beautiful, but there's something irrational about how we feel about wolves and canines in general. And it's just so interesting to me because no matter how many times we ask this question, it doesn't make it any clearer why that's the case. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't it? I think it's the yeah. eyes. I think it's I wolf eyes looking into your soul yeah. and all of us have, it touches us in some kind of very uh, raw uh, way. Wow. And so that's why it's going to be unique. It's probably not understood. Maybe that's why we love it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. And I I think when you ask that question too, like if you were to be serious and go, no, come on, tell me, you know, what is it? And like, okay, stop. I don't know. I just want to be around them all the time. It's wild. It's Mm -hmm. wild. Well, no, tell me why though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just do. Okay. <laughs> Leave me alone. I just walk. No, it's yeah. true. Right. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. That also spurs me on to advocate because I love these animals so much. It's like, wait a minute. I need to do more than just watch them. So that makes me want to get more involved. And I think that's a good thing because, uh, especially in my retirement days, it's like, what else, you know, I play some golf here and there and like, I just want to go to Yellowstone. I I'll tell my wife, can we just move the gardener or something, you know? Yeah. But and, that, and that's why I was asking before, like, what do you think you have in common with these other wolf watchers, these serious wolf watchers? And, and that's kind of what I was getting at is like, what, what is it about people that are just enamored by wolves? Like we, we must have had a shared life experience that prepared us to look at a wolf and see something that's unexplainable where, and that doesn't happen for everybody. Do you know what I mean? And that's, I'm, I'm just curious about that kind of thing. Yeah. I've always been curious too, because, um, I think all of us wolf watchers have this in common too. Like when we go back home, there's not that many people we can talk to about it because there's, I mean, how many wolf watchers are in the United States, right? Not that many. So yeah, the odds that we would go home and go, Hey Joe, guess what? I saw 1048. Yeah. I got to go to the market. You know, right. I'll see you later. It's- and so that's why we love to be around each other so much when we're there. I think I think it's this 
and Steven, you're right, man. I, I what what's what's a joy for me. I I can't speak for you too, but I think is the fact that when we host this, I always love to hear others and the the way that it affects them. And to me that it's it's exposed, I think, a little bit more in me about wanting to allow others to share how they feel. Because I think a lot of this comes down to that there's a lot of times there isn't an outlet. And a lot of times people, as the four of us have all said here just now, it's this, there's a wild something ancient inside, I think all of us as human beings, as homo sapiens, whatever it may be, however you want to define it, that I think there's parts of us that understand that this is a being that has, through one way or another, connected with us in some past life. And again, however you want to quantify it as an individual, that leads us to believe that it is polarizing one way or the other. Because I feel, and we've had other people say this, that, and, and you said it before, Kristen, when you look into a wolf's, a wolf's eyes, something is awakened or stirred about that I don't think many other creatures on this planet can do. And it comes down to the fact that, or I, and this is just speaking from opinion, that we are a lot of the times canine people. We're canine or feline people, I think, more so than not. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, the canine end of it, yep. the canine brings those things out. And because we are so strongly associated with dogs, because we have that partnership with them, and when seeing something that isn't domesticated, that we go home and we see our dog every day to see something from a mile away to say, wow, this is, this is an animal that I feel this draw to, but I don't know what it is. And it makes me want to dig deeper into myself, my soul, whatever it is, to figure out why this connection is here. And for better or for worse, I think it brings out the the best and the worst in, in individuals. And th- these are the things yeah, that true. we try to to delve into here and that we try to talk about. And I think that's, if nothing else, this is what this podcast has become. And I, I you know, we, you know, Steve and I started this a, over a year ago now. And it, I don't think the question gets more confusing. I think it's become more elaborate. And it's become yeah. more... It's more complex, yeah. Out in the open. It's more complex, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. It's so wild, man. Um, <laughs> it's wild. Um, Pat, give everybody a place um, where they can go. Do you have... Are you on social media? Any websites or things that we, people can see your photos, your videos, anything like that before before we let you go? I don't know if there's anything that you post. Yeah, I, uh, I have a Facebook page, uh, Patrick Jennings, and uh, it'll, you'll see a picture of the Wolfmobile on there. Um, most of my uh, photos and videos I have on the... I give to the 06 Legacy page because they have so many followers that... Um, I think it gets out to more people that way to uh, see some of the beauty of these animals and hopefully educate them. When I do a, when I do a publishing of a photo, I try to educate at the same time and then wolves of the Rockies. And then um, 
that's about it really i don't i don't want to i don't want the pictures to be just for me i kind of realized that a while back and i said i want these to be educational and you know try to get out to more people it's not just sending them out and going hey look at this you know so um 06 legacy webpage is probably the best place to see um uh some of my pics and videos or else on her um on her phone <laughs> well send us your phone <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Uh, there's one of them. Uh, I want to, I want to extend uh, love and positive vibes to you, Pat, for your your surgery next week. I know um, you have that. Thank you for for those. Please just explain everything because we 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 sort of touched on the periphery of it, and I, you know, just if you don't mind, if it if you don't want to talk about it, I just you know. The reason why we we've been talking about the bond with Mia, the reason we've been talking, you've been speaking about your voice. Just let everyone know what we're alluding to and and why you're having surgery next week, just so we have some sort of context. Okay. To to, to yeah, that's off, fine. That's okay I, have can- I have cancer of the throat, and uh, unfortunately, it's the second time I've had it. Uh, two and a half years ago, I had it. They took out a growth on there on the vocal cords, and I did radiation. Um, it was pretty, pretty painful. My neck was all like, like crispy red, but it got rid of it. So two and a half years later, uh, I had another growth on there and they biopsied it and it was cancer again. So the second time, the only solution is to take out the vocal cord, the larynx. So basically what will happen is I won't be able to speak. I'll have, I'll have a hole right there in my neck. Like, and I would, by the way, I was never a smoker either. But I'll have a hole right there in my neck and we hope to get an implant where I can touch it and I'll be able to at least sound like I do now, which is not great, but it's better than nothing. So my number one priority is to get rid of the cancer. So on August 12th, I'll be having the big surgery to, to take that out. It's a long surgery and a long recovery. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our fingers are crossed here for you are, like I said, uh, positive vibes to you, to your family, Kristen, to you and your family through, you know, all of next week. It has been, absolutely, Pat, it was, it was a pleasure to meet you two weeks ago. Kristen, pleasure to meet you here. Uh, You guys, again, an open invitation at any point to, you know, to come back on. Please, Pat, please keep us posted or Kristen, whoever's better, you know, please keep us posted about the surgery, how everything goes. And, um, you know, you guys are more than welcome if you're ever in Los Angeles to to swing by Wolf Connection. And uh, we'd love to have, Pat, we'd love to have you back. And Kristen, we'd love to have you for the first time. So, you know, if you guys are ever in the area, you know, just give that. us a contact. And, thank, yeah, thank, we'll, you thank, you. thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to work it out like this because it was hard for me to carry my voice through the hour. So uh, I think it worked out really good. And you guys have been uh, super about understanding that and making it kind of something special for us too. So like I said, in the beginning, we're honored to be on your program and be able to share this together. No, it was great. It was, it's, again, it's the least that we could do for you. So, um, so Pat Jennings, Kristen Parks, once again, thank you guys so much. Uh, howls to everybody out there and Steven and I will be with you next time. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Looking to support Wolf Connection or sponsor one of the wolves in our pack? Just go to wolfconnection.org, click on the Donate tab, and find out more information. 